Here we are again, episode 52 yep. of the Please Don't Fire Me podcast. 52 episodes, yeah. 52 hours of useless information. Don't say that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it's, I, I mean, I, I believe in it. I just don't know how many people do, but hopefully okay. it's uh, um, something that people get a lot out of and because we spent 52 hours doing it this we year. We spent way more than 52 hours. I know, yeah. Because there's a lot of research and, well, not a lot, but. A decent you know, amount, yeah. We, and we discussed these things probably two or three hours for every hour that. We have also trashed a few episodes that never made it to publication. We, that's true, too. So, yeah. It's all good. Yeah. So we're going to do a year in review today. We're just going to go. No, I'm just kidding. Nah. <laughs> We're going to play our greatest clips from the past year. <laughs> this could be the shortest episode ever. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mean the ones people wanted to hear. I oh, mean, our favorite. I mean, our, yeah. Oh, well, now we're talking. <laughs> oh, we've had, a, we've, we've had a good time over the past year, but here we are, number 52. Yeah. And man, if we got a show for you today. It's going to be pretty interesting. I'm telling you. No, I don't, I don't know. It's... It's not like we went out and said, okay, what's this really special thing that we're going to talk about? The culmination of everything. I'm, I'm always thinking, how can we make it bigger and better? But, it, uh, but we are going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about the 12th, the, the, what it's the, it's the, the 12th five-year plan. Oh, I see where you're going. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how you were introducing this. Well, I I just so we're going to talk about the China and they have what they call uh, I want to get it right they have the social credit system yeah a social credit score yeah a, a social credit score yeah and um this is a really like crazy concept and I guess to to introduce it uh, the reason I call it the the twelfth five year plan is because it sounds really Orwellian, doesn't it? It is. It, it's like that's exactly. I was trying to think when I'm reading through this information, and it's talking about the twelfth five year plan. I'm like, that is a creepy name mm. for the the Chinese government and what their plan, how they implement these plans or put out these plans that that they um, they publish about the things that they want to accomplish and do. And um, so the social credit score is a part of the 12th five-year plan when I was doing my research. And when I'm researching that, I'm like, why does that sound so creepy to me? And then I realized that that's how they describe things in, in the uh, novel 1984. I was going to say, I read 1984 last year, which was yes. a weird time to read 1984. Yeah, in the middle right. of 2020. <laughs> it, but it was like really... It hit a little too close to home, made me feel a little uncomfortable. And as I have done some more research on this social credit score, it just brought me right back to that oh, novel, yeah. thinking about the, the telescreen and mm -hmm. uh, you know all the thought police and all that kind of stuff. It is, it's like a game plan book yes. for what the social credit score system yeah. functionally is. So you know what I kind of threw it out there, but people need an explanation of it, and so I'm going to toss that to you. What to, is the social credit what score? What is the, the social credit score? It functions similar to what our already, like we already know what a 
the concept of a credit score is. And a credit score measures different variables that would inter, you know, assess how you interact with how you use your money and give you a number to say this is somebody that you can loan money to because they're responsible with their debts. They pay it back on time, blah, blah. So we already have a concept like that. A social credit score, all it does is it measures different variables that are not only restricted to simply money and debt. They measure basically lifestyle variables. So what kind of things you value, what you do online, what you buy, where you buy, where you buy it from, where you go, who you associate with, uh, all these different factors, social factors, are given basically some kind of value as something that is favorable in the eyes of the Chinese government or disfavorable in the eyes of the Chinese government. And there's some kind of a number score attached to your behaviors. So these behaviors that you do as a citizen are all monitored. They're collected into databases and basically based on the things that you do that are considered favorable, your credit social credit score goes up. If you're doing things that are unfavorable, your social credit score goes down. And then that number has real world implications for what you have access to and what you can and can't do. There's rewards and penalties for having a good score or a bad score. And that's something that was introduced, the concept in 2014, according to my research, mm-hmm. it was supposed to be fully mobilized and mandatory for all citizens by 2020. But my understanding is that system is still a little bit fragmented, uh, meaning there's not one huge database that's collecting for all of the country. Rather, there's kind of individual pockets of it. I think there's about 10 is what I... Yeah, so there's and there's even smaller scale pilot projects that are mm-hmm. like in only specific cities that are experimenting with uh adding different factors into the equation and so the whole system has yet to be kind of collated into one mega database. It's not there yet. And in, yeah. but, but that's where they want to take it. That's the goal. Right. It it definitely is listed as something that mainland China has been working on for a while. Right. Uh, even and, and in some cases, I even found that they were critical of some of the other ones that were implemented, but yet they didn't do anything there. They haven't yet, anyway, done anything to penalize them. So one of one of the biggest ones and one of the first ones to start out was started by Alibaba. And if you've is that is that the right name? I yeah, think I so. Think so. Yeah. Um, but if you've ever ordered anything online, they are the equivalent or, you know, the Chinese version of Amazon. Basically, yeah. And many people over here, that's that's how some people order really cheap Chinese. So somebody can import it to our country and put it on Amazon and then you can pay a premium, a more premium price for it. Or you can shop directly with Alibaba and then wait the three weeks or whatever for it to get over here. Um, you know, and, and have quite a discount. Um, but Alibaba started this program and they developed it. Interestingly enough, they developed it more as like a game and that's how they've kind of promoted it with people. So you, and and to the point where, um, now they have like dating sites over there where you put your game score 
so to speak, your social credit score right. on there so that other people can see what it is. And uh, like I read one article and, and they were talking about it from a, a dating site and they were saying, well, you know, you want to know whether or not that person that you're marrying, whether they can give you a good life or not. Right. And I mean, that's a match made in heaven right there. Let mm. me tell you. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it's quite the way to do it. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to do that premarital counseling with yeah. them? Yeah. <laughs> First so, question. What's your What's your social credit score? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. But um, if we know that, we can know whether or not somebody can provide really well or something. Mm-hmm. Make responsible um, decisions and all that. Yeah. So who says love is is dead? But yeah. uh, anyway. <laughs> Interesting stuff. So you've you've got you know, those kinds of things happening. And literally, this is something that you in an app on your phone, you can pull it up, you can monitor it all the time, you can monitor those who are around you, right? It's you can usually select public it. information. Yeah, it's, it's public and, information, you right. can select your credit score, and it will tell you the credit scores of other people who are your friends mm-hmm. in social media and things like that. In Alibaba, implemented it and i think there's another big company over there a big uh, financial company that implemented another one similar well, to are it. you talking about the people's bank of china because they have their well, own and then that's a little newer that's a little later right it, it came along yeah. but alibaba was one of the first right what i'm saying yeah and uh and, and so anyway you you get this credit score and you can see what those around you and that affects your your social credit score. Right, who you associate with. Exactly. They're right. looking at that and they're evaluating it. And it's all supposed to be about financial. financially, are you going to be able to pay your bills? Um, <clears throat> so that's an interesting thing. Like all of a sudden now we're looking at our associations to determine whether or not we're good for keeping our word and, and paying paying off our, you know, whatever credit we've been given actually i i read one article where there's a pilot project that one of these databases is using where when you make a phone call if somebody that you're calling has a certain credit score below a certain level there's like this obnoxious jingle basically that alerts you that somebody you're calling has a credit score that's lower than the acceptable level that is not creepy at all (laughs) not at all sarcasm sarcasm alert Wow, that's crazy. For real, yeah. That's quite something. Wow. Yeah. I I did not read that. That's that's interesting. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff is and and so that's what they're trying to do. But what's in what's really amazing is is how like you talk about all these things and they're like, Oh, so what? You know, okay. Well, number one, the Chinese government said in their twelfth five year plan that they were going to um that they were going to implement this and it was going to be mandatory by 2020. Now it doesn't sound like they've been successful with that yet. But just the idea, like just the thought of a uh totalitarian regime which is what China is. Yes, getting that idea, you know, like who told them about that? Yeah. Because, man, that's got to be like gold for them, thinking, hey, we can have this kind of influence on people. Um, well, imagine you know. imagine the power, though, that resides in this. The, the, the technology is the key yeah. that makes all this it does. something yep. that is even above and beyond scary. It mm-hmm. really is. 
Um, and the reason, I mean, imagine you have you had this kind of power in the hands of previous dictators of days past, where they had the ability to monitor what you said in your home because you had an Alexa device or a cell phone that was, you know, the microphone was, uh, you, you could turn it on right. and access what people were doing or be able to yeah. know what they're searching online, what they're purchasing. We what, know they're doing that. Well, yeah. We but, know uh, it. Imagine that kind of power in the hands of previous tyrant dictators. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's what this is. Now you have that technology. In fact, right. uh, China's even using experimental uh, video surveillance in Beijing so they can see they got tv screens and stuff all over the place they can see where you are and they can recognize your face because actually in china one of the things that i was reading is a lot of the transactions people do there's really two ways they mainly do it one is through their cell phone you know there's a scannable thing on your cell phone or you scan your face and your face is connected to your profile including your bank Mm -hmm. so in other words they've got like already advanced technology there being able to recognize people's faces and they track where you go in public. And if you're going uh, places that they deem good, then that helps your credit score. And if you're going places they deem unacceptable, for example, maybe mm-hmm. a church, right? It's yep. unex- it, it hurts you. Right. right. Now we have apps here. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to COVID. We have apps that uh, can track your contact and do contact tracing. Right. And they can tell you where you've been, every right. place you've been, how long you've been there. Who else was there. Who else was there around you. Mm-hmm. And so we have that here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, what if that I don't know falls what to into say. the hands of the wrong people is what, what I'm implying. Like a government? Well, yeah. I mean, the problem is, is that <laughs> this falls into the hands of people who have power right. over you. And that that is always a problem because... You know, we, I don't know why we do it, but we just, we, and I think there's a desire and, and you find this even in, in China, but there's a desire for us to trust the leaders that are, that, that are given power over us. And the problem is, is they have power and they're humans like we are and they're unchecked power is just going to leave you uh, with all kinds of opportunity to do nefarious things. And mankind has proven they will do it. So I don't know why we have such trust in these things. I got to ask you, did you use that word trust because of what you read about this? Because one of the things that I kept noticing as I was doing my research Mm -hmm. is that word that uh, we're trying to determine who's trustworthy kept coming up. In fact, at one point I found it, in the official documentation from the the uh, Chinese government, that part of what they're doing is trying to develop a trustworthy society and a trustworthy citizenship. Mm-hmm. That was the word that you trustworthy. Right. Do we trust you? Right. And the way we determine that is we label ver- various actions or beliefs as favorable or unfavorable as what we desire. It's almost like they have a cookie cutter stamp out of what a perfect Chinese citizen is. Yep. And to the degree you fit that mold, you're trustworthy. And to the degree you don't, you're not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. That's quite the designation to make. Now, yeah, I want to back us up just a little bit because you could begin to listen to this podcast and say to yourself, this is all some kind of conspiracy theory, mm. right? 
Um, like we're making it up. Like, it's just yeah, like, like, conjecture. well, you, yeah, I mean, some somebody started posting stuff online and people just kind of jumped piled on. And and now and we don't even know what goes on over in China and, and these kinds of things. You're you're this is um, you're making this up or, uh, you know, not so much that we're making it up, but we're being duped. You and I, I see, we're, yeah, yeah. we're being duped into following a conspiracy theory that has been debunked, you know, labeled fake news by Twitter or whatever, however they do it. Uh, um, and disinformation, disinformation, that's a, the word, you know, and so the thing is, this comes up as a result of a conversation that we had with someone who has lived in mainland China. And in our conversation with this person, I mean, all these things like, let me say this, this person, their response when we asked them about the social credit score, because we we had heard about it, um, we asked if it was real. First we, of all, yeah, we asked if it was real, and they said, "Oh yeah," and it, definitely real. And we and we asked them about asked them about it, and and they said it's terrifying. Yes, how they felt about it, it's terrifying. That's the exact word. They <laughs> that used. was the word. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, wow, we should we should take a little more look at this, you know, like what, what is really going on here? So I think it's verified. I think it's, uh, real. Um, and it was also interesting to talk to that person and find out to get a better idea of how Chinese people think this was even before we got into that conversation, just looking at how Chinese people think. I mean, basically they just want to go and live their lives and they just try to avoid whatever uh, over overreaching um, antics that the government is up to. They just try and live within that means. They're, they and and so you think that they they're like this incredibly oppressed people, um, you know. And and the reason I bring that up is because we think in our culture right now. We, we just, we're just trying to get by. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to get by. We, we live within the confines of these laws and the places we can go and the things we can do become more and more restricted all the time. But like a frog that's, that is in a kettle of water and, and as we begin to heat the water, doesn't realize that it's going to boil and cook them. We're kind of like that, you know? that's we're in the boiling kettle ourselves but we just don't realize it and we're just trying to get by every day just just trying to live with it it is interesting that when i looked into like what are the the rewards of a high score what are the consequences of a low score they seem mainly convenience based so it's not necessarily jailings or things like that although i know that those kind of things certainly do happen uh here's some of the things that i found that uh, were specifically listed. Now, again, this is not one cohesive system. So these are connected to some of these independent, you know, like you said, there's, I don't know how many exactly, but there's multiple systems operative right now. And they have kind of their own versions of rewards and punishments. But here's some of the things that um, have been reported as true. And I haven't been able to really find anybody to disqualify them. So you may lack access to priority healthcare. Uh, Mm -hmm. You may lose travel privileges. So, for example, here's one thing I found. A a report found that as of June 2019, 
One system has already blocked the purchase of 26 million domestic flight tickets. That's domestic. Domestic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 26 million got Within blocked because your score was not high enough. Uh, same report found that uh, 5.5 million train tickets were blocked. Uh, 128 people are blocked from leaving the country because of unpaid taxes. Almost 300,000 instances, uh, they were stopped from getting a senior management job. They may reduce your internet access or slow your internet service. You can get banned from certain jobs, banned from certain schools, banned from certain hotels. You will be excluded from different subsidies or tax rebates. Get restrictions on buying or renting property. Uh, in one city, your dog can get taken away. <laughs> I thought that was quite something. <laughs> wow. Yeah. If, they, if you're walking it without a leash or it's pooping on the sidewalk, they'll just take your dog. Wow. And uh, yeah, and then I, then the one article I told you about that had the the jingle when you call someone. So there are uh, public uh-huh. warnings, if you will, that don't necessarily have a consequence. It's right. just like we're just going to let everybody know your score is dipped too low. Right. And the implied uh, punishment there is kind of social disenfranchisement. Right. Like your friends and family are going to stop calling you. They may unfriend you on your social media pages. They may not want to go visit. Wait, wait, wait. You mean like you could be canceled? Yeah, it's a form oh, of really? Pop- yeah, <laughs> there you go. So it is actually intentional, organized mm-hmm. cancel culture. Mm-hmm. That's one way to think of it. Yeah, it words, is. yeah, it's it, it is scary, and you know, you think about it. Um, I saw one article, and it had. I'm going to read this. I'm going to I'm going to read this paragraph. The the um. They, they compared it to this. The KGB and the Stasi method of preventing dissent from taking hold was to plant so-called agents, provocateurs, in the general population. People who tried to make people agree with dissent, but who actually were after, uh, uh, were after arresting them as soon as they agreed with such dissent. Now they're a spy. Yes. And as a result, nobody would dare agree that the government did anything bad and this was very effective in preventing any large-scale resistance from taking hold. Mm. The Chinese way here is much more subtle, but probably more effective still. Mm. I mean, literally, that w- that's what you did before you had you social had media plant platforms. You had a person there. Right. Right. Before you had all of this interconnectivity on the Internet, um, you had to go out and just infiltrate people and, and basically create fake people. Now... What they have the ability of is they have you and me. And when we go on Facebook or we do any of these other social media things, we are connecting ourselves with other people and those other people's reputations, perspectives, whatever they've done, whatever they've searched for. Um, I know even in that conversation talked about uh, with, um, with this person, that had lived in mainland China, we talked about how um, the the what what happens is 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 um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, <laughs> um, but but anyway, they you know the, these things are happening like like how they're trying to scrub so many things from the internet, like Tiananmen Square. Right. That's yes. that's what, that's I was what you're thinking. thinking of. Yeah. And um, 1989, the massacre in Tiananmen Square. Right. right. And and so that that is one of the things that was listed in some of these articles about the social credit score is, you know, if you're searching for that stuff or you're somebody who's been vocal about it 
or if you're not helping erase that because they they're taking it right out of anything on the internet that you can search for find there it's not in the school's curriculum it. it's like it never existed right in the 1984 terms it goes down the memory hole the memory yeah, <laughs> exactly <laughs> right history gets rewritten yep so this person that we had that conversation with was telling us there's a huge gap between age populations in terms of their experience and perspective of these things because there's all the young people who they have grown up in an era where that stuff's already been scrubbed out right. of school curriculum. Yes. The internet has been already uh, blocked and organized in a way that that information is hard to come across. And they don't even know about it. They've, a lot of those people don't even know that right. it ever happened. And the only way that they can find out is by older people who lived through it, who are willing to speak about it at risk mm-hmm. of potentially getting some kind of a negative consequence for that. So it is... This is essentially uh, about controlling people. Mm-hmm. That's what it is at root. Controlling information, controlling ideas, controlling viewpoints, controlling history, controlling value systems. And even though it's not enforced quite the same way as KGB style was, you know, there's not right. a soldier coming in and beating you half to death or something like that. It's actually much more manipulative. Yeah. So you've got all these young people who want a smartphone, who want good internet access, who want to be able to scan their face to get the purchase at mm-hmm. the store. They just want to live their lives. They want to jump on the train so they can go across town. They just want the modern convenience, convenience of life. Mm-hmm. But in order to gain those things, you have to be a certain kind of citizen, living a certain kind of way, mm-hmm. espousing certain kind of values, spending your money a certain kind of way, so on and so forth. And they manipulate that, not necessarily through force or violence, but through social control yep that's quite the manipulative way to almost pre-program a whole population it i you know it's so scary because of the power that it has right it it has power it has the power to shape the direction of all of our lives and you know we look at it from afar we say oh that can't happen here what do you say I say it's already starting. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Absolutely. All the groundwork for, see, China, has, the only thing that's really different is China has just straight come out and said, we're doing this and we're getting organized. Right. Here in Canada, the United States, et cetera, all of the you other- You could never say that. No, but I all mean, of the groundwork is in place. And um, while well, you mentioned the COVID app, that is an mm-hmm. example of getting organized in order to track people's whereabouts. Mm-hmm. But it's- presented in a way that is meant to, you know, uh, be a health issue. We're looking out for people, safety concerns, things like that. It could be innocent. I'm not saying that it's, I'm not necessarily saying that they have nefarious ideas or plans for it. I'm not saying that either. But what I am saying is that historically mankind has shown his true nature. Yes. And even things that started out with noble intent get, fall into the hands of the wrong people or the people, their own intentions get skewed and their moral compass goes awry and they become nefarious Mm -hmm. and abusive with these things. That has happened everywhere. Yes, it always does. Power has fallen into the people's hands throughout human history, no matter where you go. Yeah. That may even, I I would even include the church Mm -hmm. in that category, actually. Yes. When the Christian church Mm -hmm. has gained too much social power in a society they can get pretty nasty with it. In some ways, 
social credit score has been around a long, long time, even before the internet. True. I mean, you can find that even in churches. I, I hate to say it, but you can find it. It's it, like we keep a social credit score in our heads about certain people, about what, you know, what kind of what kind of things do they engage in? If they engage in these certain things, yeah, we accept you. You can be a part of us, but, you know, like, don't hang out with my kids. <laughs> I see <laughs> or, what you mean, yeah, yeah. Or whatever, you know. I mean, we we do a, we kind of play that game. We play that game, and then people learn as a part of it. And I'm not saying, you know, I mean, this is something that we, I personally fight against and, and hope, you know, that that Bible fellowship, uh, my church, the church that I'm part of, isn't like that. I I don't want to be a part of that. But I grew up in that kind of era where a lot of social pressure was put on people to act and perform a certain way. And if you did, you became, you know, in the good graces. And if you didn't, then you kind of got marginalized in some way. Well, to be fair... Every society has to do that to some extent, unless you're just going to be pure anarchy. Mm -hmm. Like, unless you're just going to say, we have no laws, we have no values. Just literally do whatever you want, live in the era of the judges. Absolutely. So you have to impose values on society. So it's a good thought. I mean, it's a good good line of thinking is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a good line of thinking. And in fact, like so many other things in our world— you take something that's good and has a positive influence and it actually can be used for evil. Sure. And especially when you exploit it and when you take it to its furthest reaches. And when you do what scripture says, woe to you who call good evil and evil good. Mm-hmm. So if you manipulate the system in reverse and you start to reward behavior that God would not reward and punish behavior that God would desire, etc., uh, it becomes just as destructive. So... Yeah, I I mean, okay, let's get back to the question, because you right. asked, is this something that could ever happen here? Yeah, I threw you a softball, yeah. and then I and then I interrupted it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Come on, man. I was going somewhere with that. Yep. So, here's a few ways I think that this would work. Um, imagine, for example, well, COVID has given us uh, a little bit of taste in this, and we've talked about it on this podcast before, the idea of essential services. Right. So this is the government saying these are desirable things for our society at this time. These are undesirable things for our society at this time. And then we're going to enforce some kind of consequence for people who disagree with us. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a form of this being executed by the government. It's not exactly the same thing. But one thing to note is that we've been pretty tolerant and accepting of the government saying your business, your values, your essential things are not right. ours. Right. And we're going to punish you if you live in accordance with your own conscience and not in accordance with what our own value system dictates. That is functionally a form of a social credit system without calling it that. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that that system exists right now and we've been highly tolerant of it shows like to put in place a formalized social credit score is not a crazy thing. No. I think we'd be pretty accepting of it. I think there's a lot of people that would be because of their fear and because they want convenient the convenience of not living in that state of fear. Right. And so they're, you know, they're they're all in favor of tracking people and having all these things in place that um, are really 
in, intrusive in our lives. Um, I think vaccine passports would be another yeah. example of, you know, a travel restriction. You can go, you can't go, depending on whether or not you can produce the right document. So just imagine there's some kind of social credit number applied to whether or not you've been vaccinated or not. And that'll get, grant you access to certain things or not. Uh, that's something that we're pretty tolerant of at the moment, it seems like, and could very well become an actual policy. Forms of it are already kind of a policy. Mm-hmm. Um, not exactly the vaccine, but travel restrictions and forced quarantines and things like that. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is the these lay the framework that is right. needed to say, we're going to just formalize this and put numbers on it. Um, another example that I had, we had talked about this the other day, was um, admissions policies for, uh, I, yeah, mm-hmm. like Ivy League schools. Mm-hmm. So both Yale and uh, Harvard have gotten themselves into some hot water for yep. what I would de- I will describe it. <laughs> they will not describe it this way. I will describe it this way. Intentional discrimination mm-hmm. in their admissions policies. So they have taken the SAT scores and manipulated the numbers to change who gets admitted into the schools. For example, they've discriminated against Asian students and white students who have historically scored higher on the SAT scores. So you you almost like are penalized because of your race. Right. And then they have taken other minorities like blacks and bumped their scores so that they're manipulating the admissions. And Change, really, they didn't bump the scores. They changed the threshold. Yes, that's, that's, what I, yes yeah. that's what I meant to say. Right. So, so they're, in other words, associating with you some kind of mm-hmm. social credit based on your race. Right. As in, well, the fact that you're white in our world, we're trying to lower the admissions of whites and raise the admissions of other ethnic minority groups. Mm-hmm. So we're going to penalize you for your skin color. Mm-hmm. They had to do the same for Asians, even though they're technically a minority because they're scoring so high. Right. It was messing up the system. Right. Yeah, skewing and, up. And so they got into some legal trouble in this, uh, uh, you know, and then once Biden's administration took over, by the way, the, equality the suit Act? got dropped. Is that what it's called? Oh, it did it? <laughs> it oh. did. Oh, really? Yeah, it got huh. dropped. So it was it was being it was pursued a... in the Trump era. Oh, okay. But then uh, Biden's commission dropped the suit against, I think it was Harvard oh, okay. specifically. Um, but anyway. So was that like from the State Department? Is that probably where they? Uh, let me or... see if I... Br- I'm not anyway, sure if I it doesn't put it in matter. My notes, but That's, anyways, that must be who brought the lawsuit. You can Google it more mm-hmm. if you'd like to learn more. Um, but it is it is just interesting. So so there are right now mm-hmm. in our culture uh, some semi formalized ways of associating certain personal factors with desirable traits or undesirable traits. Mm-hmm. And all I'm saying is that just needs to get a little bit more cohesive. A little bit more unified, a little bit more organized, and ta-da, you've got it. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, I it brings up in my mind um, that like there's so many things firing off in my mind, but it it brings up one, you know, one situation where you the the problem that we have, and we've talked about it many times, is that we're looking for this social equity. We're right. looking for. Um, you know the the we've talked about social justice and we sound like or at least i probably sound like i'm not going to speak for you but i i 
I feel like people look at me and think of me as somebody who doesn't believe in justice, who doesn't, who doesn't love justice, who doesn't want equity for people. We want, I, I, I would love to see everybody have a fair shot at everything, that there'd never be any discrimination, that there'd be nothing like that happening in our world. I believe that my part in doing that is to make sure that I do exactly what Jesus told us was the great commandment, which is to love my neighbor and love the Lord my God. And when we implement that in each one of our lives, if we could implement that across the world and people would individually take the responsibility to do that, we would see equity like we've never dreamed of. That's that's my belief, and I, I just want to make that clear to people because I, I think they believe that when I talk about social justice, we've had conversations with other uh, leaders and in, in Christian leaders and before, and when I bring up the subject in a negative way that social justice is a bad thing, I'm talking about political social justice, and um, and and oftentimes that gets either the blank stare or rolling of eyes or different, uh, you know, or crickets, uh, when it, when it's suggested. And, um, I, you know, nobody knows what to say because they think what's wrong with this guy. How can you be opposed to justice? And it's not, that's not the case. I, I, I think God loves justice. Amen. I, I think that he is the one who brings justice. He's also the definer of it. And he, uh, exactly. He defines what is justice. And 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 so that's where the problem lies is that everything right now is there's systemic racism. So the system is biased against certain races or whatever. And so the solution that is sought out is systemic social justice. Right. And, and it, that's really the problem that we're up against is the same system that is flawed and causing racism and is blamed for racism is the one you're looking to to solve the problem of justice mm-hmm. and whether there's equity in our world. And this is the reason why, and, and I know it sounds like I'm way off base with, with this whole social credit score, but this is the reason we're looking for a system to make things equitable between people. And that's what communism sets out to do and socialism, right, hand in hand with it. In sure. fact, in fact, uh, communist China is just a communistic socialist program. Sure. Like it, it's it's just they've they've tweaked the system enough to make people feel like you know, there's enough there's some freedom, freedom here, and democracy, and yeah, and and I, I love like that was amazing reading some of those documents and stuff. They've got democracy, 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 and constitution, constitution, rule of law, all these things listed in there. And it's like the only thing they forget to tell you is one person decides what it is, mm, yeah, <laughs> and t- and interprets it. So sure. you know, there's no check to their uh, to their power. But what their desire is is ultimately the, the the desire or goal originally I should say, not ultimately, but the originally the original goal of communism was to bring some kind of equity mm-hmm. and to do it through force it through a, a systemic 
political process. It happened by force. Yes. And and this is my problem with social justice. And and so many people are on social media and they're talking about social justice and they're trying to enforce these things and they're you know, we've got the government of Canada, which I know we're gonna talk about in just a second. But the government of Canada is coming up with legislation about hate speech and things like that. All of that in an effort to systematize the justice for all people and equity for all people. That's what the goal is. And so then they begin to vilify anything that sets itself up against that. And quite frankly, people, Christianity is in the crosshairs. Absolutely. And and that's... That's the reason social justice is not a a good thing. Okay, when I say social justice, political social justice. So, you know, meeting out or desiring to see justice, doing that on your own personally and making sure that you do your part, that's good. The bad part of it is, is that in order to do it as a system, in order to do it as a political process, what you have to have is you have to have humanism. Humanism is the driving force behind it. And what we're saying is we're seeking justice, not from God, but through political systems. And, and, and so many, I see so many Christians that are jumping on board with it. And what they're literally saying is, is they're saying that I am trusting in the government to fix this problem. And that means, who are you not trusting? Right. You know, I, I know all of them would say, well, I trust God ultimately. Well, the problem is, is that we're building hatred between our friends. We're, we're, we're uh, putting people on different sides that are our Christian brothers and sisters oftentimes and, and, and polarizing on an issue that only God will solve. I really believe that. I, I know that sounds very, you know, fatal, like, you know, what's wrong with you? you? You have no hope whatsoever. No, I have hope. I have hope in God. He's going to solve this problem. And, yeah, it might not come in time for some of the injustices that we see right now. In the meantime, I do everything I can personally to help those situations. I mean, the desire for equity and social justice is really an echo of the longing for heaven where you desire for Mm -hmm. some kind of a utopia society Mm -hmm. where people are no longer being unnecessarily hurt or taken advantage of, which is a noble desire. But if you lack the perspective, well, social justice has multiple fatal flaws and I won't get into all of them, but one of them is it doesn't appreciate sin and uh, the infection of sin in the entire human race. Mm -hmm. As long as sin exists, equity is impossible Mm -hmm. unless you impose it by force because people make different choices. Some people will make good choices. Some people will make bad choices. If there's a gigantic bread button you could just press (laughs) that would automatically reset the whole world into a perfectly equitable system, it would be undone in five minutes because people will make different decisions with their power. Some people will make good responsible decisions. Some people will make poor, selfish decisions. And inequity would be the result in minutes. Yes, okay? we, seem, because we seem to be uh, re- really naive. And, and even as Christians, we're very naive about sin in our world. Right. And, the, and how it's ravaging 
our world. Right. The impact. And the yeah. and and so we get angry about these things, and we want to, you know, we want to take on that cause. And the problem is, is that we don't, we're not understanding that the 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 reason that it's happening is because of sin. It's all around us, and there's only one person that can solve that. And we need to start looking to him to solve it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have prayer, but, uh, and, and I, again, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know, now I'm kind of getting off tangent, okay, but, well. but, but we have prayer, but, but we, you know, we substitute for prayer, we substitute or, or even see our hope in, uh, you know, in in demonstrating, I was gonna say and act, activism, activism yeah. and things like that. Okay, I'll quit. Well, okay, I'll take it. I'll take the social justice thing and spin it a different perspective as it pertains to a social this. credit score. Right. The social justice initiative, which I have, <laughs> I have researched to death, so I feel like mm-hmm. I know this stuff inside and out. It places a high value on group identities, right? That's one of the core points of it. And I think one of the things that it it is laying a foundation in our society, by the way, this is already accepted at this point, um, that certain people groups are oppressed, certain people groups are oppressors in society. That's a systemic problem. And so a social credit score, what it can functionally do, just like it, I mentioned in these uh, post-secondary schools, is mm-hmm. it can take those group identities and apply a credit to them. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if you're a white person, we already assume, based on social justice, you're privileged. So that will hurt your credit score. If you're a person of color, then your social credit will be boosted because you're considered to be a minority and at a disadvantage. These are the kinds of factors. If you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're uh, homosexual, if you're straight, if you're cisgender or transgender, and so on and so forth, all these categories we love to talk about in social justice would be applied. They already kind of are Mm -hmm. applied to a social credit system because many people are now being, you know, shunned out of decision-making arenas because of their group identity factors. They're too white, they're too straight, they're too male, they're too Mm -hmm. cisgender. And it's desirable, we call it diversity, Mm -hmm. to bring about people who fit some of those specific categories. In fact, I had to laugh because I had seen a... Um, there was a transcript that was from a school in California, and they were bringing some uh, a new person onto uh, their uh, what's the word I'm looking for like their their parent council. Yeah. And uh, one guy was a candidate, and in the transcript there was a conversation about whether or not he has enough diversity. He represents enough diversity. Right. And the issue was he's white. Well, he was gay too, which was a boost for him. Oh, okay. But he's still white. Right. Like that's still, and he's a man. Right. Can you imagine when we can start to apply numbers to it? That's my and point. Then, and then we can tweak those numbers and get everybody's number right about the same. That's my point. Yep. So the the philosophy is already widely accepted and functionally practiced mm-hmm. in our society. If you are if you identify as X, Y, or Z, it's a boost. If you identify as X, Y, or Z, it's a negative, depending on what we dump into the so what social significance we dump into those categories. Right. And you are absolutely right. I wish people would understand this, but it seems many people do not. Christianity actually is at the root of some of these social designations. Right. Here's why that is. One way the social justice, particularly as, well, one way it defines this issue is by asking, who founded this country? Okay. 
In other words, who set up the system? Because the assumption is that they set it up to maintain and protect and reinforce their own power. Well, the answer to who set up the system is old, straight, white, semi-Christian men. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the assumption, therefore, is the system is designed to benefit old, straight, white, Christian, cisgender men. And therefore, everybody else is at a disadvantage. That's the core of this. And by Mm -hmm. the way, why do we value cisgender instead of transgender? Why do we value straight instead of gay? Why do we value Christianity instead of Islam or something else? Because the Bible. Yep. Yep. That's why. Mm -hmm. So, my point being, the Bible really is the center of all this. Mm -hmm. If it's true, which it in my opinion, undoubtedly is that Western society is funded on, is founded rather on Judeo-Christian values that come from God's word. The center of this whole problem of why society is the way it is, is because it's an attack on the principles and values of God's word, at least the perceived values of God's word. So to embrace a social justice narrative or understanding of the world is fundamentally a backdoor attack on the Bible. That's what it is at heart. Mm -hmm. And you start applying social credit to those things. Here's my point, okay? Long story short, being a Christian is going to be a net negative. Going to church is going to be a net negative. Giving to Christian charities is going to be a net negative. Uh, Not giving to charities that support, you know, homosexual agendas or, you know, racial agendas. I hope hope people, when they're listening to this, are realizing that they already have this information. Right. They they already have access to all this information. You send in your tax forms and it says how much money you gave to your church. So they have your church. They have how much money you've given. They know just how entrenched you are in your faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, already. they can see by your behaviors. Mm-hmm. And if they can track who you associate with online, what news sites you follow. Um, if there's a way to track people going to church, which according to COVID apps. And I mean, there might be various other methods put in place still. Long story short, this, in my opinion, will in the future and maybe in that, and maybe not too distant future, coalesce into a soft persecution against being a Christian mm-hmm. in this country. That's where it's going. Yeah. You're going to find yourself making more and more choices like Pastor James Coates. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. you're going to be you're going to be making a choice on whether you're going to obey the government's rule or whether or not you obey what you you know, feel from God, your own personal, your own personal conviction yeah. and in doing that, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, you know, it's a scary thing. I mean, you've got in our government right now all kinds of yeah, a couple different legislations that we've talked about here on the show before, but you've got this hate speech bill that is, um, you know, open to continually being updated in terms of defining what is hate speech. Right. Many of the things that are considered to be hate speech are things that uh, the Bible explicitly talks about. Mm Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is, is that, well, there's two problems. One, it's about, you know, whether or not there's going to be freedom to be able to speak on those things. Um, Number two, you've got a book that really, you know, in a day and age where we're 
canceling people's tweets and we're getting rid of people's books. We talked about Ravi Zacharias, you know, I mean, you know, all these things are, are becoming more and more acceptable to us. Well, the Bible's a book and maybe that thing needs to go Mm -hmm. because it's having a negative impact when you've got, you know, communist China saying there's going to be no news articles, nothing published, no, all the textbooks, it's going to, Tiananmen Square is going to be taken out of that because of the things that happened there didn't reflect well on the government. It's not a stretch to say that we can get rid of some of these things that are not uh, uplifting and encouraging to those who have uh, different views of, of lifestyle and alternate lifestyle. And, you know, I'm not, at all, uh, in any way, advocating that we do anything hateful to people who oh, have chosen these these lifestyles, that is not what it's about. I mean, if anybody hears me, hear me now, like it's it's about us first of all being uh, consistent with God's word, and second of all, saying God is ultimately wise and perfect and he made us and he knows exactly what will help us to flourish right and we desire that for every human being Mm -hmm. and that's you know anyway i'm not trying to defend that but i'm just trying to say that that this is an alternate view of of what we see as valuable in, in terms of what hate speech is not only that um but in terms of when you begin to erase things from the narrative, and that's what you're doing when you're taking out quote-unquote hate speech from social media and platforms like that, you're no longer even, like those things don't come to your mind anymore. They're erased from what we see. Uh, they're vilified. And, and therefore, anybody who would hold any opinion that even looks you know, like it's... Uh, a cousin to that is going to be vilified with it. And and now all of a sudden you've only got one voice that's out there. Um, I'm not saying, again, I don't like hate speech. I don't think that you should be harmful in your speech to anybody. But the, the other side of that is, is that you've got no other perspective other than the one that's acceptable. And that acceptance is written into law yeah well just like they have a certain kind of citizen they're trying to produce in china the same thing will be here and it functionally already is it's just not a formalized credit score but our society has certain values that we expect citizens to adopt and live by there are already various forms of semi-consequences for being backwards or not with the times or however Mm -hmm. you want to put it and I'm just saying, I think those are becoming more and more formalized. You mentioned the hate speech legislation formalizes. It names certain kinds of hate speech, homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia, among others. And those labels, whether, well, those labels will be applied to you as a believer. Mm-hmm. They will be, unless you, f- here's the thing. You can say, no, no, I, I don't hate anybody. Right. I just feel like these things are sins or however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. It don't matter. That's not... affirmation is the only option in the mind of the people who are setting the values of our society. You either affirm this fully or you're on the wrong side. You don't get to live in this in-between middle of, I still think these things might be wrong, but I don't hate them. 
Right. That is not going to be an acceptable no. place to live. No. You're getting painted into a corner that you didn't really, it's not of your own creation. Because I agree with you. I'm not for hating anybody. Right. I don't want to hate anybody. I don't want anybody to hate anybody anywhere. Me, you, anyone. But the world defines hate as a lack of affirmation. That's true. So as soon as you're not affirming the things that society tells you to affirm, you're a hater. End of story. Mm -hmm. They don't need to know anything else about you. Mm -hmm. That's where the line gets drawn. As that becomes more and more public opinion, which, by the way, there's an age factor to this. Because one of the Mm -hmm. things that you find is that older people tend to be, they have a different view of tolerance. Mm -hmm. They are saying like, yeah, I completely disagree with you but I'll tolerate you mm-hmm. and your opinion. I'll let, let's, we can live cooperatively in a society and still disagree. The new form of tolerance isn't like that. The new forms of tolerance amongst young people is not, uh, I tolerate your wrong ideas <laughs> right. and uh, we can live and let live. It's more like, if, well, anyways, I don't want to get into the origins of it, but essentially it, it amounts to affirmation. Mm-hmm. I only tolerate you if uh, if you're affirming my perspective. Right. Not just saying, yeah, you can have that and I have mine. But you actually have to say yours is valid and right too. Yeah, but how is that How is that different from intolerance? It's not. I know. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's my point. <laughs> There's lots of good stuff out there on, on the issue of tolerance. You can uh, – Greg Kukul wrote a pretty good book. I think it was called – it was either called Tolerance or Intolerance, and so did D.A. Carson wrote a book on uh, the he called he was called the the intolerance of tolerance. Mm-hmm. That's what his book, and they're both around the same concept that mm-hmm. the definition of the word has changed. Anyways, I guess all this to say, it's going to be harder and harder to live publicly as a Christian in the days mm-hmm. ahead. Definitely, when society's values have shifted away from our values, and then they're putting in factors to manipulate those values out of society. Mm-hmm. It's going to be harder to live authentically, even in private. I mean, if your online activity, mm. your online purchasing, imagine, you know, they're tracking what eBooks you buy on your Kindle. They're tracking what websites you visit. They notice you're opening your online Bible app a lot, whatever, whatever factors they determine are important, mm-hmm. man, they own it all. It's quite something, isn't it? It is. And, and, and honestly, I've said it so many times. Again, I sound like a broken record. I feel bad for those of you who are sick of hearing it, but, but I can't help it. I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, Ezekiel sometimes lately, just like I, I'm saying stuff, but nobody's picking it up. Nobody is, is really understanding how nefarious this stuff is and how uh, detrimental it's going to be to our Christian lives and the opportunity to live it out in the future. Um, we're living in a day and age where there is no tolerance for us, and but we keep we keep giving people the information they need, volunteering it, volunteering it, and you know we do it. We do it for the sake of convenience, like. But all my friends are there, but. This is how I contact, this is how I keep in contact with my family or, you know, I've, I've been there. I've used all these reasonings and excuses myself. I've been on social media for a long, long time. Uh, I used to let everybody 
be my friend on Facebook, and now there's thousands of them, and I don't even recognize these people, and they <laughs> post stuff, and I'm like, I don't even know who you are, but yeah, whatever, you know. And uh, I, I say all that to say it, it just reminds me of Jesus' warnings, and you see them so often. It's like, uh, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward with your father who was in heaven. I, that never really, I mean, that's always made sense to me in the in the context of the church. But now I look at it and I see people that are, you know, uh, they're virtue signaling on Facebook and, and Instagram and all these social platforms. They're, they're using this as a way to make sure that everybody knows uh, you know, who I am and, and what a magnanimous person I am. Um, and, you know, so in a weird way, it like has application to that, I think. Um, you know, whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they, they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Um, there's just, and and there's many of these, um, you know, these these statements of that Jesus talks about when you pray, go into your closet and pray. There's a, I don't know, there's some value in privacy, and we don't like in order for us to have all the things that this world has to offer, we're just putting it all out there, and we just feel so compelled to, you know, I get these notifications i've never done one before i don't understand what a facebook story is oh or an instagram story no, or don't a, worry about it or no i i know <laughs> i i don't i don't really feel compelled to figure it out either you know but it's just interesting i see some they'll pop up these notifications and i'll get so and so and it's always the same few people that are always with the story you know they got a story and they've got it on instagram snapchat Facebook, I mean, and sometimes you see the same story on all of them. And it's just like, why do we feel it's so necessary for people to know our story? You know, it's like, I want them to know Christ and I want them, I want to have opportunity to speak to them about that, but that's best done on the street corner or someplace in a coffee shop. I, I just don't I just don't know if that's valuable anymore because all we're doing is we're giving them all the ammunition they're gonna need to shut us down. Mm. And I really I don't know. I'm feeling that way more and more and more and I just keep as much as I try and run from that feeling, I feel like it's becoming more and more present every day. Now is this something that is born out of fear? Or do you think it's born out of wisdom? Well, I I don't know. I think m- maybe I, that's a good question. I I think it is. I think it is born out of wisdom. I I think, but I think I do have some fears about it too. Mm. You know. Um. But but more so, I just don't know. I just don't know where this leaves us as the church and as followers of Christ where does this leave us if we keep exporting all of our information that can then be used against us at some point in time um I just 
I I think that we're just not being cognizant of it at all. And then it's going to come back and haunt us someday. Yeah. I really believe that. Um, Am I fearful? You know, I don't care what they score me as, I guess, as long as I can continue to share the gospel. But I'm also seeing that that's being inhibited Mm -hmm. already. And that bothers me greatly. I mean, I would admit that some of my feeling about all this, I want it to be something that moves me to wisdom, uh, to learn how to navigate this culture in a way that honors Christ, stays faithful to my own convictions, fulfills the calling God has on my life, and does that through wisdom. Uh, But I would just admit that at least some of it is, you know, bringing up fear. I'm just being honest. You know, the the idea of our culture becoming more and more hostile towards Christians and being somebody who, I mean, I'm, I've got lots of stuff online. <laughs> I've left a pretty <laughs> large do. digital yeah. footprint out there that some people might not like too much. Yeah. And, uh, it, I don't know if it's too late for me cause you can erase things, but they're never actually gone. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm already in it and I will say, you know, there is some fear, there is some fear, but I, what I, want to admit though or recognize is that that fear is wrong yeah Uh, that's not a scriptural way to live scripture calls us to live not by fear Uh, we fear god and we fear i think uh our own sin to some extent recognizing how fickle we can be you know like peter denying jesus three times five minutes after saying i would never let you down (laughs) that's kind of us and it was fear. That's all it was, right? He was afraid of being associated with Jesus mm-hmm. when things got real hot. And I feel like, yeah, that's a legitimate thing for me. And so I need to live according to God's spirit and the power and boldness that God can give to my life. Um, but that doesn't mean that knowing the kind of things we've talked about here today might not have applications in our life through wisdom. Like maybe minimizing our digital footprint, being a little more careful of what we say, not because we're compromising, but because I, I, there's a, well, we had an interesting, I know we're going a little bit long, yeah. but going back to that conversation we had with the person who had lived in China, um, you know, some Chinese Christians have different ways of handling this. Some of them are like, listen, let's just cooperate with what the government wants mm-hmm. and we'll live a quiet life and we'll do our best to be faithful to God and share the gospel quietly and other people are like, no, you're being a total compromiser, so we're going to stick it to the man and and do every, do this right in their face and put a big target on our back. Right. And there's di- some disagreement even amongst how you live as a persecuted Christian yep. in that society. Among the Christians. Yes, right. that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I think there will be here as well. Um, so we need to pray about it. We need to pray mm-hmm. how God would have us to live, what he would have us to do, how he would have us to, I think, prepare for some of the hostility that might be here already and coming increasingly in the future and uh pray pray for boldness pray for wisdom pray for your leaders those who uh who stick their neck out on the line a little bit more publicly and yes trust in the lord put our like you said put our hope in the lord yep Yep. that's where it needs to be yeah and that's very very good point i'm i'm gonna wrap it up here because we have gone long we gotta end somewhere But uh, anyway, until next week, 
May God bless you. Bye for now.